This phrase was the title of his first TV show all the way back in 1949. It was the phrase of four more revival shows that he had leading all the way up to the 2000s. The whole premise of the show is based on individual stories, bizarre events, and items so strange and unusual that watchers might find themselves questioning. Man has been able to build an entire empire off of challenging one's beliefs. The show would walk through multiple unbelievable scenarios and end with the phrase, believe it or not. When it seemed almost unbelievable, Ripley would challenge the viewers to press in and still believe. Even if it seemed to defy defy the laws of nature, when it didn't always make logical sense, he would press in and do his best to convince or uh, oppose the question about believing. What may be easy to believe for one person could be hard to believe for another. I find this in my Christian experience as I uh, uh, garner more and more time with God. I've learned how to uh, uh, um, lean on Him and understand that if He brought me through before, He'll bring me through again. I may have had doubts and some unbelief or times of unbelief where my, my faith was tested. But you see, as I've grown in God, I've learned that He will come through each and every time. There's a song I used to play often in my car called He'll Do It Again. I may not know how and I may not know when, but I do believe that if He did it before, He'll do it again. I still believe. You see, what is, what is easy to believe for one and hard for another, that is because we have different circumstances in life that shape our beliefs. We have circumstances in life that shape uh, uh, what we believe and, and possibly even distrust or faith towards one another or an idea. For the next couple of weeks, I'm going to speak about uh, how we allow circumstances in our life to shape our view of God. This sermon here called, I Still Believe, which I've already told you is going to be paired with our study on Wednesday night. It's not too late to get in, by the way, on uh, uh, every Wednesday night. You don't have to start at week one and go to week five. You can jump in at any time you want. It's been a wonderful study. We talked about sacrifice this week. So uh, come and be a part. We've ordered some extra books. We had a, a nice turnout, and uh, we got some more books on the way for you to be able to uh, capture your thoughts and journal along the way. And this 35-day 30, uh, 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 journey with God is what it is, five weeks, seven days. Uh, it, it's based and focused on the book of Romans. So many times when we struggle, if we're uncertain, if we're dealing with some personal challenges, the best place is the Bible to turn to. Oftentimes, Romans chapter 8 can help us work through some of these things and these challenges. The Apostle Paul in his writings, he's writing to a group of Christians who had yet to experience persecution. Hadn't had too many things that they've had to sift through as children of God. Challenges. Shortly after this letter, though, these hypothetical situations that Paul talks about will become painful realities for them. So the message for you today is things may be going well. Maybe lately you haven't experienced too much adversity. Maybe your life in general has gone well. But I'm here to tell you that life is hard. 
the devil is real, but God is good. You've got to still believe. The question underneath the verse that Paul's writing here is, where is your hope? Where is your hope is probably one of the most fundamentally important questions that you can answer in your Christian life or in your life in general. Where you put your hope determines so much about how you live your life right now. It determines the trajectory of your life. Where you put your hope influences how you act every day. Where you put your hope influences how you think every day. Where you put your hope influences the way you respond to people, the way you respond to adversity, the way you respond to things. Where you put your hope matters. It will determine the trajectory of your life. God wants you to live a life of abundance. God wants you to live a life above and not beneath. God doesn't promise a life that is free from adversity, but He promises a life in eternity. And He promises that as you can live out the, the principles of God in this earth as you're here in your minimal amount of time in the scheme of eternity, that you can live a blessed life. A blessed life. Hallelujah. Romans 8, 18. I'll give you part of this scripture. Now, I did this last week. And one of our faithful foundation family members were scurrying all over the place looking as where did he get this Bible verse from? So just know that there are sometimes I give you part of a verse. Today's one of those days. I'll give you part of it now, and I'm going to give you part of it here in a few more minutes. Romans 8, 18. I consider, Paul says, that our present sufferings. Here Paul's talking about putting our hope in the right thing. He begins by saying, I consider our present sufferings. What he does here is he uses a general description to describe something that is actually very personal. Present sufferings. What it means to me, it may not mean to you. What causes me trouble may not cause you trouble. The enemy attacks me in ways that he may not attack you. And he may attack you in ways that he doesn't attack me. He does not fight fair. He is a liar and he is the father of all lies. He will pry into the weaknesses of your life. He will find out where you're vulnerable and he will begin to speak lies into your mind, you see. And your present sufferings is, may not be what mine are. But they're still present, very real. And I encourage you today to think about where is it that you are putting your hope in. It's a description here. It's very broad, general term, but he makes it very, very personal. There's a personal emotion attached to it because we all have it. Everywhere you look, you see present sufferings. You might hear it when you walk through your neighborhood and you hear a husband and wife bickering at one another. I know y'all don't do that, but sometimes in the neighborhood, you just might see that. <laughs> Bickering at one another. I was going to say, ladies, can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> Fellas, I, I ain't going there with y'all. I got to go home with my wife today. Ladies, can I get an amen? Yeah. 
Give them what they want. If they want the couch in the bathroom, put it in the bathroom. That's where it goes. That's where they said it looks good. Paint the bathroom whatever color they say. That's where that stuff goes. Your opinion does not matter. <laughs> Woo. Oh, boy. Present sufferings. You might see it. Uh, uh, may, maybe uh, not only uh, with people that we interact with, but, you know, uh, in hard times. Sometimes you could maybe see it when you're out at the supermarket or at, at school or, or wherever you might be. You maybe, maybe you see a single mom that's barely making ends meet. Present suffering. Maybe it's a coworker or, or, or a classmate who's struggling with, 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 with anxiety or, or depression or, or addiction or, or different things like this that, that the enemy wants to, to, to allow to manifest in our life. You see, present suffering. You see, the Bible doesn't promise that there will not be suffering. There will be challenges. Present sufferings or suffering come to all of us. It's important for us to recognize how Scripture deals with it. How Scripture deals with present suffering. Because many times, I believe, uh, uh, with good intention, church folks or church in general, we give this false impression that if you just become a Christian, that there are no more present sufferings. That if you become a Christian, your life is going to be laid out perfectly for you and there'll be no more pain and sorrow. We give the impression that God's going to take care of all the little details and there aren't going to be any more challenges and struggles. When someone becomes a Christian and they suddenly deal with present suffering, then they say, time out, wait a minute. This isn't the way that it was supposed to be. Anybody ever been there before? God, you didn't tell me it was going to be like this. I thought if... I was on God's team, then he was going to make everything right in the world. The Bible doesn't teach it exactly like that. It never teaches that in this world, if we are Christian, then it's all smooth sailing. John, or Jesus said in the book of John 16, In this world you will have trouble. That's the red letters. Paul talks about present suffering just as a given, as if it will occur in your life. In this world, there are going to be these present sufferings that are going to challenge us in our Christian faith. If I were to ask you for a show of hands today, if you were being truthful, I would venture to say that 100% of the hands would go up if I were to ask you if you were dealing with some things in your life that were not fair, some things in your life that you did not understand, some things in your life that caused turmoil. Hmm. Anybody ever had turmoil in your life that was undue, that shouldn't be? Anybody have some things in your life that were unfair? Hmm. Present suffering. You see, we have to understand that our hope is in heaven when times like this occur in our life. Challenge ourselves as Christians to remember that our hope is in heaven and to live with that reality in mind. Somebody say, our hope is in heaven. Yes, there's power in the words that we speak. 
I want to read the rest of the verse for you from Romans 8 and 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing. Huh? Come on, Paul. I'm supposed to keep reading now? You didn't brought them, you didn't put me in check like that. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Here, Paul, what he is saying is, here's what I want you to do, guys. Paul's saying, you've got your present suffering identified. You've kind of circled it in your head and in your heart. But he says, I don't consider our present suffering to even be worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. It's not worth your time. Not worth. Not worth what? Not worth the unfair proposition of comparing the good things of God in life to the insignificant, unrighteous ways of man who's only made righteous through the King of kings and Lord of lords. It's not worth comparing. You can't live up to the lofty manifestations of glory that will be exhibited and revealed in you. We're incapable in our humanity. It's not possible. Not even worth comparing. I hesitate to call it not even worth your time. But maybe in some cases, that is the truth. You see, when you begin to focus on heaven, it gives you a different perspective. Not consider, not worth comparing. That's the perspective, you see, that heaven gives us. It's not to say that life is going to be easy, but it is to say that heaven is going to be just that good. I used to wonder why the older folk talk about heaven so much. And as I grow older, not as old as some, but well on my way, I don't know if I've reached the crescendo of life. I would like to believe that I'm still climbing to the apex and I haven't begun to count down yet. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. But what I do know is as I've grown older, I think about heaven more. Mm. I think about one day when all of the busyness and the hatred and the, I can't even think of the words for it today. Humanity can be so dark and unloving. I firmly believe today amongst all of our differences and the unique qualities that God has created us with in this life that we have far more in common than we do have differences. It's time for the church to unite and love one another based upon what we have in common. We cannot confuse what we disagree with as a lack of love. I don't agree with everything that, you know, my kids always do, but it doesn't determine how much I love them. We've got to let love trump all. Hallelujah. Thinking about heaven and the present sufferings, I want to read word for word for you a little paragraph that is uh, uh, from the notes in the study that we're doing here. It says, 
And you may go through 72 years of chronic pain, talking about difficult life on this earth, and illness, suffering in life. It may be very difficult, but when you're in heaven and it's been, here's the number they give, you're in heaven and it's been 552 million years, 332,000 years, 552 million years, and someone comes up and they say, so, how's your existence been so far? You're going to say, it's been incredible. Heaven's wonderful. There's no mourning. There's no pain. There's no sickness. There's no tears. It's been incredible. And they might say, well, I kind of remember hearing something about you back on earth. It was kind of tough for you there. And you remember back and you're like, yeah, you know what? I do remember my 72 years there. It was really difficult. But when I compare that to what I've experienced in heaven, well, that's not even worth comparing. I don't even think about it. It's not even worth the comparison to how good heaven is going to be. That should encourage you today. What you put your hope in is what you will live for. If you put your hope in heaven, you will live on purpose by way of getting to heaven by giving your heart to God on this earth. Put your hope in heaven. When your hope is in heaven, your life will match up with what you're hoping for. This is how we can identify Christians by their love for one another. I want to give you three points about what happens when you place your hope in heaven. Where you place your hope determines your ability to endure. You know, we struggle with enduring sometimes because the enemy is so crafty, he's so cunning, he's so uh, manipulative, he's in a real non-spiritual way, he's sharp, he's methodical, he knows exactly what he's doing, and we are no match for him. He convinced, he convinced a third of the angels to leave this place that we're hoping for. He's good at what he does. Which is all the more reason why we must put our hope in heaven, give our hearts to God, put our trust in God, put all of our uh, uh, life's troubles, sorrows, and everything in the hands of God and allow for him to lead us to this place called heaven because without him we are simply no match for the devil. You've got to give your heart to God. You've got to give your life to God. What you hope for, your life will mimic. I can see what you hope for by how you live. I hope that when you see my life, you know that Scott Fussnecker hopes one day to be in a place called heaven. Not because I say it, but how I live. How I live. If you've put your hope in something temporary, you see something that can that can be and will be eventually stripped away in life, then the challenges of life, they can lead to despair. You cannot put your hope in the things that are temporary. But if you put your hope in something outside of this life, then it gives you the ability to endure for what is yet to come. Outside of this world that we have a hard time uh, uh, escaping in our finite mind. 
That's why the Bible says to renew our mind and try to take on God-like, uh, uh, not characteristics, but principles. You can't take on his characteristics because he is what he is. He's all-knowing, omnipotent. You can't be exactly that all places at one time. But you could take on the, 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 the uh, principles of God in your life that the Bible teaches in order to make our mind line up with the things of God. It gives you a strength that you never knew you had. Romans 8 and 11, it calls it the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, that would be God. If the same spirit of him, somebody say God, who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. You must accept Jesus as your Savior. Invite him to live in your heart so that you have an eternal hope for a place called heaven and present sufferings will then be compartmentalized into a place that we call not even worth comparing. Not even worth comparing. That's why he talks so much, Paul does, about having a living hope. Christ is alive and well. The, the, the Bible says that his word is alive and active. How has that happened, you say, Pastor? Well, he's omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, and he also lives through us as we, be, or we, are, we are believers and we shine our light to others. It's alive and active through you. You are responsible as a believer to live a responsible Christian life. You can't do what you want to do. Living hope, a hope that doesn't die. I underline this. Heaven will give you a hope that doesn't die in the war of circumstance. You don't have to fight the war of circumstance with the same tools that the world say you have to fight with. The Bible says that you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. The Bible says that you are an overcomer. The Bible says that you are the apple of God's eye and he made you with a plan and a purpose, with a hope and a future, Jeremiah 29 and 11 tells us. You don't have to listen to what the enemy says. You don't have to listen to what the world says. Thank God that we don't have to listen to that. I am who he says I am. I am a child of God. I belong to a royal family. I've got an inheritance. When I gave my heart to God, he said, come on in the family, Scott. Be a joint heir with Jesus. You've got an inheritance in heaven. This is where I place my hope. This is why I preach God's word. This is why I thirst after people coming to the throne room of God and giving their heart to God. This is why I do what I do. To show you that you have hope. The devil is a liar. John 10.10 10 tells us that he is a liar and he is the father of all lies. That's a big word. The father of all lies. So if you're lying, the devil's in it. Woo-wee.
you place your hope determines your ability to endure. Where you place your hope determines how you will engage with the world that you live in. Romans 8, 19 and 21. For creation waits. This is a deep verse. Y'all take a, take a deep breath. Get ready for this verse. Get ready for this. This is deep. For creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration. Not by its own choice, here comes free will, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be liberated, have freedom, walk in liberty, have freedom from its bondage to decay, and brought into freedom and glory of the children of God. This gives us the ability to engage in this world with freedom, to engage in this world with a sense of liberty, telling us that all around us, creation should wait. Creation should learn how to wait well. W-E-L-L, wait well. You've been around some children before that uh, uh, you know when you're around two, three, four-year-old, you get a lot of different behaviors. I don't know where my grandson is. Did he make it to the nursery again? He's a good boy. All he does is smile, sleep, go to the restroom, and play with some toys. That's all he is. He's a good boy. His middle name is Francis. That's what I've been calling him. I say, man, it's got some. I'm going to teach him how to say, how you doing? Nice to meet you. Francis, sir. I like the name. Sound like an old school Scottish name or something like that. Back in the castle days. They made some bad men back in them castle days. Chopper brother. Huh. <laughs> Whew. Where was I at on here? Talking about them kids. Learning how to wait well. You see, you have some kids, uh, they trust in their parent or their provider's promise. They believe in what they say. But some, some you see, they don't. They wreak havoc throughout uh, uh, the day. They might flail, kick, and, and cry as they wait. It's part of growing up, you see, learning how to trust. We do this as Christians, right? Sometimes we flail and kick at what God's trying to do in our life rather than learning how to wait well. See, we don't know how to wait on God, so then we flail and kick trying to get what it is that God doesn't want in either in our life at all or in our life at that time. So in our Christian walk as baby Christians and kids and Christians, uh, uh, in our Christian walk, uh, the immaturity, you see, we flail and kick like we do in, 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 in our humanity sometimes spiritually, flailing and kicking. Anybody ever do that? Sometimes I feel like I'd be flailing and kicking all week. What happens spiritually when we don't wait well? It can lead to despair. And ultimately, when we do this, somehow, some way, shape, or form, we have put our hope in something temporary. When you are suffering in pain, the hardest thing to do is wait. You can imagine yourself, you've probably been in a waiting room with either pain uh, that you're having or someone in your family, and you have to wait on a doctor. It's a hard thing to do to wait when you're in pain, when you're suffering. The Bible says that when we suffer, when we go through tough times, one of the hardest things to do is wait well. That's why it teaches us to wait expectantly, to wait on God and what God wants to do in your life with great expectation. 
To wait well literally means, make sure I got this correct from my notes, to wait expectantly literally means in the Greek to scan the horizon and see the dawn breaking. Your pain may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning is what the Bible says. I don't know how long your night has been. I need some water up here, Blake, if you don't mind. I don't know how far in the horizon, I don't know how long your, your night has been, but the Bible says that if we wait well, that if we, I'll say the word to you again, that if we wait expectantly, that we can see the dawn breaking if you scan the horizon and look for the things of God in your life. What is it that he's trying to show you? Waiting isn't a passive thing, but an engaging thing. Hopeful waiting, anticipatory waiting. When we go through tough times, we must embrace hope through expectantly waiting for God to do things in your life. Thank you. Blake is a super saint, cap, all cap, cap locks. Give Blake a hand. Can't nobody say it like a grandma can say it. But I said it. I'm the pastor. The last point that I want to make to you today. Where you place your hope determines. Remember I said where you place your hope, it it will determine how you live in this world. I can see how you live. Where you place your hope will actually determine how you engage with people. Right? You're not, you're not, uh, uh. I just, the only word I can think of is like hateful, mean, and always down and out. How you engage, how you engage. My present sufferings are not worth comparing, so I'll engage with you well because I know there's a place for me waiting called heaven, and this world is only temporary, right? And then thirdly, where you place your hope determines what you will sacrifice for. We don't like to talk about sacrifice. All the time. Where we put our hope dictates what we'll sacrifice, what we will sacrifice everything for. What will we give our time to? That takes sacrificial living. What will we give our work to? That takes sacrificial living. You've got to begin to compartmentalize what matters and what doesn't matter. What will you sacrifice? How, how, How will you give your attention? What will you give your attention to? What will you give your days or hours in a day to? It really is just that simple. What are you willing to sacrifice for? When you place your hope in heaven, here's what Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says you will live your life like. Therefore, if you place your hope in a place called heaven, therefore, since we are surrounded by such great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. Some might say throw it off. Y'all know what it is in your life. Some might say throw it off. Throw off everything that hinders you. And the sin. Mm. Some might say sin. The devil is real. Life is hard, but God is good. Mm. Throw off everything that hinders. And the sin. That 
Man, this word of God is so powerful. It'll put you in check. Say, Pastor, you don't have a lot of that, though. You know, you're a pastor. You and the sin. I got to evaluate my life. That so easily entangles. Isn't it so good to hear the kids in the church, man, learn about God and learn about Jesus? I'm for real about that, man. Bring them babies in the church, man. Let them learn about God back there. My niece back there teaching today, highly qualified teacher. I think she's second grade, Stephen, now, or first grade? First grade teacher at Sycamore City School. She good. I'm not just saying that because she's my family, but she's good. We got several teachers that teach back there, man. Let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us. Not by having our difficult circumstances fixed, but fixing our eyes on Jesus. I love the phrase that they used here, for the joy set before him. But notice the phrase that immediately follows. He endured the cross. For Jesus, the joy was worth the sacrifice. The joy set before him was no match for the circumstances surrounding him. The joy before him was no match for what the cross might cost. Would you just stand with me if you would? My question today, when you place your hope, where you place your hope determines what you will sacrifice for. What might God be asking you to engage in or with, even though it's costing you? What are you placing your hope in? Is it your job? I hope the last year of your life has taught you you can't put a lot of hope in that. Is it your hope, your, your, your health? Hmm. That was suspect in the last year as well. Is it the government? Mm. We're not nearly as powerful as Rome was, and it fell. Mm, I hope you don't place it in that either. Is it your pastor? At the end of the day, that's very flattering, but I'll let you down too. With the best of intentions... Where is it that you're putting your hope? What present sufferings might God be inviting you to endure? Man. Just hit a little bit different, you know? Like what present suffering might God be inviting you to endure? For the sake of growing, not in despair, but growing in freedom, like the verse said. So that we can grow in grace. Grow in freedom. Do we have eyes to see that present sufferings are not worth comparing? Do we have eyes to see sacrifices as opportunity? Do we have eyes to see a hope so unshakable that you can't help but live for God? My prayer is today that you do. My prayer is today that this word may have changed you. 
in a big way. That you've learned to shift your eyes from the things of this world. Some of you could be days away from a doctor's report that's not very favorable. In those moments, it will matter if you fix your eyes on the heavens. If you fix your eyes on Jesus. This world is full of troubles. Death, dying. A lot of hate. We must be, church. We, we must be the light of this world. 